0: Welcome
1: to the Fiat Podcast, sharing powerful birth stories within a Catholic context.
2: I am Nikki French. And I'm Laura Flaherty. Let's
1: get started. Mm -hmm. Thank you again for listening and supporting our podcast. Nikki and I have decided that each season we would like to focus on one ministry or organization to support. This season we are highlighting Rachel's Vineyard. Rachel's Vineyard is a safe place to renew, rebuild, and redeem hearts broken by abortion. Weekend retreats offer a supportive, confidential, and non-judgmental environment where women and men can express, release, and reconcile painful post-abortive emotions to begin the process of restoration, renewal, and healing. Married couples, mothers, fathers, grandparents, and siblings of aborted children, as well as persons who have been involved in the abortion industry, have come to Rachel's Vineyard in search of peace and inner healing. Rachel's Vineyard is a nonprofit organization which is funded by private grants, individual donation, and the assistance of Priests for Life. Join us in praying for this ministry, and if you're able, making a donation. Thank you.
2: Welcome back, everyone. We're here today with Becca, and she's going to share about the birth of her son. Good afternoon, Becca. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Great to be on. Uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and just do our Hail Mary real quick. Yeah. Great. All right. In the name of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
0: Holy amen. Mary, Mother of God, pray for pray us sinners now and at the yeah. hour of our death. Amen. amen.
2: In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get started by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Great. So uh, my name is Becca.
3: Um, I'm 27. I am. My husband and I are celebrating our two-year wedding anniversary next week, so we're still kind of newlyweds. And uh, this is the story of our first Jacob. Mm-hmm. He's nine months now. And uh, yeah, so. We, uh, I'm, and I guess some important context is I'm from the U.S. and my husband is Canadian, but okay. so we're now living in Canada, so that was definitely part of our story was like navigating the Canadian um, healthcare system, I guess, and like mm-hmm. doing all this through that lens, which definitely had some some pros
0: and cons. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's nine months old. So his birthday was what is that? Very,
3: August. very end of. Yes. August 31st.
0: Very great. Wow. Okay.
2: The heat of summer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Made it through a whole hot summer. Very great. Right. Great.
0: (laughs) Well, why don't you, um, start with whatever kind of relevant details, um, in your pregnancy and then we'll move on to the birth.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my husband and I got married June of 2019 and, um, which was wonderful and beautiful, and you know, we decided let's take a few months and kind of get settled into married life, um, and then let's kind of, you know, have a conversation about whether or not we're kind of open to trying to start our family. And we were both excited about that, so we just figured, um, you know, a few months in, I want to say it was maybe five months into our marriage, we said, okay, well, let's just take some time and and you know, think about it and pray about it and see if and. You know, come back together after a few days and kind of have that conversation about how are we feeling about maybe trying to start our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my husband was reading this Bible in a year um, program, kind of mm-hmm. and so he opened up to the Bible of, of the year passage for that day. And it was this reading from Isaiah all about like the fruitfulness of having children and like your wife will be like a fruitful vine. And and all of this like really kind of beautiful language and he was like okay that was pretty direct like that's, <laughs> that didn't take long for like let's pray about if we should you know start a family so um and another kind of cool thing is in that passage there's a there's a line about how like the god child shall be called jacob or whatever so mm-hmm. that name kind of always stuck with us throughout the pregnancy mm-hmm. when we found out it, it was a boy um we were kind of like yeah it should probably be jacob like that was a pretty <laughs> That was like a pretty cool moment for both of us so that's so cool <laughs> yeah it was awesome um so we yeah we we got pregnant shortly after that and um then it kind of started into the like okay i'm an american i'd only been in canada for about two years at that point i moved to canada we got engaged then we got married and so now i'd been in canada for about two years and all of a sudden I went, okay, now I have to kind of navigate what are our options in Canada. Because I hadn't really like I probably should have researched that a little bit before we got pregnant, mm-hmm. but um I just assumed like okay, we probably have all the same options that we have in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't necessarily the case. So we we live in Halifax, which is far, far east coast. Um, and it's a town of about a hundred thousand people, but it's like the biggest town for a thousand miles. Like wow. we're pretty Canada is like a bunch of cities, and there's like nothing in between them. So like we could, yeah, Halifax is Halifax is kind of it. Um, and we found out that in Halifax there's a a big, very well-renowned hospital that does has a great you know other baby center. And there in that hospital there are eight midwives, and they can do those midwives can do home births. But other than that, it's those are your options. You either get one of those midwives, and you can either have a birth in a hospital or at home, or you just go through the hospital system. Like I, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but in the research I did, um, there aren't really like birth centers. There aren't kind of those things that, I think especially as a first time mom, I was like, is that like the in-between? Mm-hmm. of like, okay, I'm kind of nervous. Like, do I want to just go all out? And like, I cause I, I always kind of wanted more of a natural route, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I was nervous about like totally breaking from what I perceived to be like the like safe backup of the hospital, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so we were five weeks when we found out we were pregnant and we called the hospital that day on the advice from some friends to try to get in, to try to get in with a midwife. And we never got in with one. Um, wow. there, just were, there were just too many August babies, I guess, or something like that. But we, so we couldn't get a midwife. So we kind of said, OK, we have to do a hospital birth, which wasn't really my favorite, <laughs> Um, e- even then, knowing what I know now, it's it's even a little more, kind of like, wow, I can't believe that's really the only option for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: but even then, I I wasn't wasn't thrilled with that just based on the experiences that I'd heard from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping for something, certainly with a midwife, but at least a little more, a little more of kind of a natural approach rather than the medical approach. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I, I kind of went into my whole pregnancy with that in mind and thinking, OK, I'm going to have to figure out what I want and kind of figure out how to advocate for myself for the the things that are really important to me, without even really knowing what those things were yet, but just kind of based on the snippets that I'd heard from people, right? So, right. so and, and as my pregnancy went on and I continued to learn more and more, um, I'm grateful that we like, we had some really good resources to, to help us kind of make those decisions, but it wasn't until later that I realized how important those really are. So, yeah, so that was kind of, that was kind of surprising, but, um, but you know, we, we ended up with a beautiful birth experience. And I'm really grateful for that, but, um, I know it was kind of, kind of a lot of work to get there. You know, we really, um, so I, you know, I did have some morning sickness in my first trimester and actually, especially my second trimester. I wish someone told me as a first time mom, like your morning sickness can get worse in your second trimester. <laughs> I was like, oh, why did nobody
2: tell me this? Like, I, was I think already we could write a book. <laughs> I
0: know. I think we could write a book. I wish somebody had told me when I was a first time <laughs> mom. I think we could fill it with a thousand things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That was so that was kind of a surprise to me. And also this was all happening in my second trimester started in i guess like february or march which march of 2020 was the the pandemic lockdown right so Mm -hmm. um,
0: especially especially, in canada things got crazy Yeah,
3: big lockdown in canada um which is funny because so like all the retail closed down here which was fine i didn't really need retail except that i didn't own any maternity clothes like any oh, maternity, yeah. Pants. So my second <laughs> trimester starts and I was like, I don't own a single pair of maternity pants. Um, shipping is already atrocious in Canada, but then you factor in COVID and it was like six weeks to order a pair from old Navy. Oh, and I was oh, like, yeah. what, and what do I even want? Like, I don't know. I've never tried on a pair of maternity pants in my life. So mm-hmm. I just like literally wore my pajamas through the whole second trimester because I wasn't going anywhere anyway. I was working from home, which was, I was very grateful for. My husband and I both were. And uh, I just hung out and I became a dress person real fast and uh, <laughs> did not own a pants until I was like mm-hmm. seven and a half months pregnant and finally got to go out into the world again. So that was a wild ride. But <laughs> um, so, so coming toward the end of my pregnancy, I had like a, another kind of wake up call as to like, OK, what kind of birth? am I hoping for what you know what um, yeah what are my goals like what are what are what do I think about what this birth could be mm-hmm. and how are some ways I need to advocate for myself I guess because I've, I've been working with a um, and she's not an OB she's a they call him a family doctor up here I can't remember what the name is in the US but just like a normal practice family doctor um, mm-hmm. who also delivered babies mm-hmm. and you know, there were some great things about her and other things that I, I didn't love so much. And I kind of had a woke up. I kind of had a woke wake up call at around 30 weeks when I was in my appointment, which, you know, there were always like five or 10 minutes. And she kind of sat me down at the end and said, OK, so, um, you know, just in case you go into labor, you know, the baby's, you know, the it's viable starting around now. So if you do go into labor, just um, drive up to this door at the hospital and uh, I'll meet you there do you have any questions? And I went, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm 30 weeks. Like, I I don't know anything. What do you mean? Do I have any questions? Like, right. uh, And so in the moment, I was like, um, no, I guess, you know, like, I can't think of any other than just like, what is birth? And how do I do it? And like, help me, you know, I don't know
0: anything. That's so weird to say that to somebody at 30 weeks when there's no reason to think like, that you would go into labor i don't know that sounds so weird
3: and i had like a very kind of normal healthy pregnancy up to that point even like up to my birth and i just was like that was not it wasn't helpful first of all like drive really? up to this, the door you go through and like she didn't even say like you know your contraction should be this far apart this is what a contraction feels like this is a braxton hicks so you can tell the difference like there was nothing it was just you know if you go into labor you know, walk in this door at the hospital and they'll take care of you. And that was kind of the moment when I, I went to my husband and I said, okay, we got to get some more help because like, God bless this woman. I know she's got a million patients. I know maybe she truly doesn't have the time to walk through this with everybody, but we need to find someone who does have the time because
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I'm such a researcher by nature that I was like, that's just not going to cut it for me. Like I need to, Mm -hmm. I need to and help us with some answers. So By that point, we were kind of we were pretty sure we weren't going to get in with the midwives like they just never even called us back to say no, even though my husband had called so many times. And they just said, oh, you're on the list. You're on the waiting list. So we said, "Okay, we have to do something. And so we started looking into doulas. And that was just the best decision that we made for our situation, because we we ended up meeting with um, this one doula who was recommended to us. And she sat down with us in a coffee shop, and she said, "Okay, what do you know? Like, what do you know about birth and labor? Like, tell me some things that, like, what do you what are you thinking about? T- like, tell me where you're at." And so we started to kind of say, like, "Well, we want a natural birth if possible. I'd love to go unmedicated just to kind of see what my body can do. You know, I'm not." I medicine, but I want to like, like, I know my body was made to do this. So like, I want to see. And she was like, yes, that is awesome. I'm so excited. I'm here to support you. Here's a list of like 10 things. Have you thought of any of these? And like, we never even heard of them, you know? So Mm
2: -hmm.
3: it was such a game changer. We walked out of that consultation with that doula and just looked at each other, looked at each other and said, yeah, like that is someone who can Mm -hmm. help us who can also advocate for us because Mm -hmm she just had so many great points about like when you're in the hospital, you know, 99% of the time it isn't or whatever percent, right. Mm -hmm. If it feels like an emergency to you, it might not actually be an emergency, whatever they're recommending. So like you always have time to sit and think and talk about your options and ask them about the risks, risks and benefits of whatever the the choices that they're presenting Mm -hmm. to you are like, never feel like you can't do that. And she said, and my job, will be to remind you of your preferences that you expressed to me before the birth. Um, Just so like you don't get caught up Mm -hmm. in craziness Mm -hmm. of what birth can be and like accidentally make a decision that you didn't mean to make, you know, and, and not to make this sound like she's pressuring us into one thing or another, but she said, I want to like help you make these decisions well, because they're so mad and it can be a really totally overwhelming and like Mm -hmm. stressful experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing some of the things that were on that list if you remember them? Things that you hadn't thought of that she was wanting to discuss?
3: So even like, well, this one became very relevant because she was like, "I what I remember now is she was talking about like the, the different methods of induction. And I'm here sitting here thinking like, well, of course, my baby's just going to come, I don't know, around-ish his due date. And she kind of walked through like, okay, but if he doesn't, and the hospital wants to do an induction, like, do you understand what those are? Do you understand what a fully ball is and what Pitocin is and what Pitocin may or may not, you know, how it may or may not have these effects. And I'd like, mm-hmm. I'd never kind of walked through all those individual options,
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, but even, yeah, even things like that, or like, you know, like after you have the baby, you can get a Pitocin shot to, to help with the bleeding. Is that something you'd like here again, here are the risks and benefits. And I just remember thinking like, there were so many things like that, that, um, it was just great to have someone who, who had walked with moms so many times, especially in that kind of induction situation. Which, um, spoiler, Jacob was eleven days late. So it was, well, I mean, late, quote unquote. But uh, it was. It became really important when we did get to that induction conversation that we'd had with the hospital. That I knew about these choices. I, I like felt like I understood them, and I could say to them, okay. I would like more time. I would like to do none of these things right now. And I would like a few more, you know, like being stand to the point when, you know, the doctors now I'm skipping it, but that's okay. The doctor is talking me through in the induction consultation when I'm, you know, several days past the due date that they assigned Mm -hmm. and saying, well, here's all the risks of being overdue. And I can say, yeah, but you know, here are also the risks of Pitocin. And I, I not not that one is you know it's really hard and I get that everyone has a different situation Mm -hmm. but in our situation we just felt like we feel like we have more time um right and we'd like to take those extra days and we need you to kind of respect that and it was it was really because our doula had walked us through those things that I felt like I could say that in Mm -hmm. in a hospital to uh you know (laughs) to a gynecologist who Mm -hmm. I didn't know who was telling me like you know it's important that you Pick which induction method you want. You know, so
0: mm-hmm.
3: those are the kinds well, of things. As a first-time mom, I was so grateful for. Yeah.
0: I was so grateful. Mm. What were some of the things that they were saying were risks of going past your due date?
3: The big one that they talked about with us was the baby could swallow meconium, and I think I'm saying that right. You know, and and have breathing difficulties as a result. And I I totally acknowledged. That that has happened to people, and that can be a risk. Um, but the other crazy thing with our story, in particular, is that um, the due date had been assigned by an ultrasound. I forget which one, but that that was how they kind of determined our final due date was based on the size of the baby at the. I don't even remember if it was the 20 week ultrasound or which one, but right. Um, but we are Catholics, and we kind of track all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So We were like, we actually know probably within like a day or two right? Um, when the date of the conception of the baby is. And so what, you know, like, but that wasn't even, and it was, it was way off. So the due date they assigned us was August 20th. And the one that we were thinking was probably more like the 26th. Mm-hmm. So by the time they said, you're a week late, here's all the risks. We're saying, well, we actually don't think we're a week late. You know, we actually think we're you know, maybe right on time, maybe a day early. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's why I felt like I was able to say, okay, I think we have more time. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I've heard that a lot from like doctors, not like, I guess even trusting women to know enough, I guess, about their cycles to know when they ovulate (laughs) when they, right. And they're just like, no, we go off your date of your last period or whatever, which even, and they don't even entertain, you know, the thought of when you may have actually conceived.
0: Right. That was what happened to me with, um, when I conceived Charlie, I knew the day that I ovulated, but I was still in postpartum cycles and hadn't had a period for like four weeks. So by going by last menstrual period, which of course obviously isn't Becca's situation as a first time mom, but by going by last menstrual period, it, our dates would not have matched up. So I went by date of conception instead. Cause I knew when I peaked, not to mention the fact that your due date is a, pretty randomized calculation yeah it's
3: such a cool like they like add up the number of days i i I don't remember what the research is you might know nikki but like it's it's kind of arbitrary
0: it is it's nagel's rule is what it's called and it's like plus seven months Mm -hmm. minus 30 days like it's not at all an indication of when it would be no longer safe for you to continue carrying the baby like it's not based on that at all it's based exactly. on it's kind it's kind of random I think it's like I can google it actually I have my computer open um yeah it's it's like plus nine minus 30 plus 10 or something like that <laughs> let me look it up
3: yeah and that like the fact that that is something This like somewhat at the very least, if it's not arbitrary, it's definitely, like, old school. Like, we should know mm-hmm. more by now that, like, there is a safe range when a baby can be born. Mm-hmm. And then there is, you know, from what I've seen anyway, it seems like there is a a time when the risk is higher. But, you know, most women don't find themselves in that situation. But a lot of people I know end up kind of pressured into an induction right? based on own, you know, which is, mm-hmm. that's that's not great.
2: Right. Especially so if you're it's,
3: going kind of more of a, a natural, unmedicated approach, like, like right. we were
0: hoping to have. So Right. So it says, add seven days to your last menstrual period, then subtract three months. And then the following year, that's when your due date is. So if your last menstrual period was November 1st, you'd add seven days to November 8th, and then subtract three months to August 8th of the following year, that's your due date, according to this, like... You know old time like 1800s yeah Yeah. like and we're still using that yeah
3: yeah and it was frustrating because we we said this to my my family doctor who we were working with we said well we're pretty sure like based on you know same number of days but based on the date of conception that we have not just to the last menstrual period right um we're not using a calendar method but like we're pretty sure that we have this date so can we go based on that? And she just kind of said, no, like, that's just not how we, that's not how we date things. We, 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 yeah, we don't use that. So, so that was, that was, um, it was anyways. Yeah. Back to like, I'm so glad we had our doula because she was able to kind of walk us through all this. Like, are you even aware that,
2: that this could happen? Um, Yeah. Which it, which it did. (laughs) So yeah. That's uh, great that she had that doula that was, you know, able to, make you feel like you know you had the power and the information yeah yeah
3: I feel like the theme of my whole like birth story is just like like getting good education on it because you can kind of default through things and maybe some of those defaults are good and maybe they work for some people but they just weren't really what we were hoping for so we had to kind of educate ourselves out of the defaults that the hospital system you know had in place for these mothers so um so another oh yeah and our doula was the one who told us that this particular hospital had an epidural rate for their mothers of like over 95
2: percent wow so (laughs) that's a big number I think like 90 I feel like 90 is pretty average for a lot of places yeah what I've heard recently so that's like even higher
3: yeah like it's it's the highest, one of the highest in Canada is like this particular hospital for some reason. And so she said, okay, so if you're hoping to not do that, like, let's go through some specific strategies. And my favorite thing that she recommended that we ended up doing in our birth, I'm now skipping all around, I'll get back to like, chronological <laughs> order here in a minute. But um, she said, um, to write to Our, our birth plan, she called it birth wishes, which was just helpful for my mindset, right? Like we're going to do our best to to get your wishes, but you know, may not happen this way, but right at the top, like in big bold letters, um, not to have the nurses or the doctors ask me about my level of pain, um, which I'd never heard of before, but it turned out to be awesome because she said, if you're hoping to go unmedicated, um, you're obviously going to be in pain. But um, you are going to have coping mechanisms that are outside of the hospital's kind of standard procedure of if you're in a lot of pain, you know, go for an epidural, which I was hoping to avoid. And so by not asking about it every 30 minutes, she's like, you're going to be in the zone. You're going to be doing your own thing. The last thing you need is like a nurse tapping you on the shoulder and saying, like, give me a number that corresponds to your level of pain, like every 30 minutes.
2: And how is that even relevant? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Really? In the grand scheme of things?
3: Exactly. She was like, if you decide, you know, after maybe you have a super long labor, whatever, if you decide you really do want or need an epidural, you will know. And like the nurse does not have to ask you if you want one for you to like make that known. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's like, do your own thing. Like, I will, I will be there to help them remember, you know, not to ask you. Um, But yeah, so just like little strategies like that made made the doulas super helpful. So Um, so yeah, into my third trimester, the, the most challenging thing for me was that I had, um, I, well, I guess I'm going to call it undiagnosed because I don't know for sure that this was what happened technically, but I, I think that I had SPD. Oh, I didn't even look up what that stands for. I'll look it up. But basically what it meant for me was that, um, I had a ton of pain in my, my hips and my pelvis and kind of my groin area and basically it just felt like I had a pulled muscle all the time and made it really hard to do things with like alternating legs you know like when you take steps upstairs Mm -hmm. with alternating legs that was like crazy painful and then right as that was kind of coming to its worst the elevator in our building broke for a month and Uh. I live on the floor of an apartment (laughs) so i like was home basically for like the last four weeks of my pregnancy just like going stir crazy couldn't really leave without like a lot of pain going up and down the stairs and like not happy that again my ob was kind of like well everybody has like pelvic soreness when they're in their late pregnancy and i was like i don't think that's what this is Like." (laughs) (laughs) like yeah, Mm. I I didn't really feel listened to in that situation either. And that Mm. kind of, again, reaffirmed like, okay, I'm glad we have someone who I feel like is really on our side. Um, Mm. So for about three weeks before Jacob was born, I was having prodromal labor and contractions like super irregularly. Um, So I would have like a contraction and then 10 minutes and then another one. And then I have, wouldn't have one for two hours. And then I would, have three in a row like right back to back and then I wouldn't have another one till the next day and so
0: were they they, super painful
3: they weren't super painful um toward the end they were getting more painful but they Mm -hmm. just weren't um they weren't very regular and so I was like texting my doula all the time like okay I'm having more what do we do and so we started doing like the mile circuit is something that she recommended which as you ladies know but if anyone doesn't know it, it can like It's basically just positions that you move your body and your tummy into to, like, use gravity to help pull the baby into a better position for birth. Because she said, because they're so irregular, you know, it could be that your body's, like, trying to start labor, but the baby's not really in the right position yet. And so he's kind of, like, your body's kind of trying to work to get the baby into the right position. So Mm
2: -hmm.
3: we did the miles circuit, like, all the time. We were doing, um, yeah, lots of bouncing on the the you know, exercise ball and things like that. And just kind of waiting. Um, and so at one point, I think at my 40 week appointment with the doctor, I was like set up and I just said, well, I want to know if this is at least doing anything right. Like are these contractions, which are getting more and more painful, more frequent, but not regular enough to really be anything. Um, like, is it doing anything? So I did ask her to do a cervical check and I was, like, less than one centimeter dilated, and I was, like, devastated. <laughs> so I was, like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Like, what is, what's taking so long? And I remember going home and saying to my husband, like, I'm never going to have this baby. Like, I'm going to be the only woman in the history of humanity to never give birth to this baby. Like, it's never going to happen. I don't know what's, and he was, like, calm down. You're okay, you know, like, but I was I was so, I, I really underestimated how much, like, the mental game of like waiting and and hoping and knowing that it could be any time starting at like, you know, 37 weeks onward ish. Um, Yeah. It was really, was really, really very challenging. Um, And so I think I was like, according to that, you know, that August 20th due date, I was like 41 weeks. And so when you hit 41 weeks with the hospital system here, your next appointment is in, is at the hospital, like not at the clinic where the, you know, sometimes you go to a, a clinic with the doctor, but this one was at the hospital and I met with a different medical team. And that was one where they talked me through um, options for induction, which I mentioned earlier with okay. the, the risks of, okay, now you're 41 weeks and here's all the bad things that could happen to your baby. And I was able to say, okay, you know, we're pretty sure that our conception date is actually a few days later than this. Even if you don't acknowledge that, like like I would like more time. So when, you know, how much time would you give me? Like how how much time can you let me wait and see if the baby comes? And so they basically said like, okay, we'll make another appointment for you in four days. And if you come in in four days and you still don't have the baby, we'd really like to start an induction. And I kind of thought, okay, well, we'll just cross that bridge when we get to it. Hopefully I have the baby in the next four days. Um, And so on the evening of August 30th, and he was born on the 31st. So thankfully, I actually did have the baby before the induction um, was set to be, which I was like praying for like crazy. Again, not because all inductions, you know, there might be situations where that works for you, but I just really felt like we had time and that especially as a first-time mom, my baby's just going to come when he's ready. So Mm -hmm. we wanted to push for that, that time. Um, So yeah, 10 days late, I was just trying to like keep myself busy. And so my husband and I decided to go, it was a Sunday night and we decided to go to mass. And so we, even though like I'd woken up and I was feeling, but then there's an evening mass at the cathedral downtown. Um, and so we went to mass at the cathedral and I remember during the readings being like, okay, I feel like, like I'm having contractions, like, but I'm not going to freak out. Could be something, could be nothing. Who knows? Um, but they were definitely getting stronger as mass went on. And then right after the uh, prayers of the faithful, my water broke, um, in mass (laughs) and i sat down and i was like oh my gosh and it wasn't like in the movies but it was like enough that i was like okay something is up and like i need to go into the washroom and just like check it out and make sure that like figure out what's what's going on um and so by the time i came back and i was like yeah i'm pretty sure i didn't just like pee all over myself so i'm pretty sure this is my water breaking like i think we need to go um but by then it was like
0: my, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Just, the, just the image of like your water breaking before labor has like really, really started is so foreign to me. And it makes me laugh every time I hear like the did I just pee myself? Yeah, <laughs> it was like very- because
3: sensation yeah yeah like what is going on yeah Yeah.
0: both both of my birds my water broke and like the baby was born 10 minutes later like it stayed intact the whole time and so I have never experienced that like what was that kind of feeling and it makes me laugh every time but go ahead
3: yeah it was very strange and um I yeah it was yeah it wasn't like the movies where I like left a puddle um
0: Mm -hmm.
3: but I did definitely I was like okay I can't I'm like nervous to walk because I'm like, I'm, you know, like we, yeah. we got to get somewhere more comfortable. And my husband, God bless him. I love him. And this turned out to be hilarious. But at the time I was like, are you crazy? Um, he was like, well, it's communion. Like, do you want to just go up and get communion and leave? And I looked at him and I was like, I know, like I can't walk. I can't do anything. And so um, my husband, works works for the diocese that's attached to the cathedral of course and so he knew the priest very well we we know the priest who was celebrating mass and he was like okay i'll just go get father and i'll tell him your water broke and like he'll come and bring communion back to you and i was like okay fine whatever like that's fine (laughs) and so this priest chris goes up and he like receives communion and he's like okay father um so becca's water broke in the back so like we're gonna go to the hospital soon but like can she have communion and the priest like books it back the aisle and gave me communion, which was really beautiful, and like gave a little blessing to the baby, and then we got to leave. So it was actually really beautiful in retrospect. Like we got to receive Jesus and then get out of there. Um, but that was really funny. We we're laughing because my husband works for the diocese, and I for like, Jacob. We're like, of course, the like church like, workers. My water breaks during mass, like. Of all <laughs> <laughs> um. So we decided to stay home for a bit and see if I could progress in my labor while home. And we kind of knew that generally they say like, okay, when your, when your water breaks, it kind of unofficially starts this countdown clock of like hospitals want you to have the baby within 24 hours because the risk for infection is higher when your water's broken. But we said, well, we know we have a little time. Let's stay home. By then my contractions were definitely regular. And so Um, like we went home, we had some dinner, like my husband was like playing video games because I was like, distract me and I want to watch anything except for these contractions. Like I just want to relax through them. So he's like playing the, you know, car racing games. And I'm like, just trying to not pay attention to anything except the car racing game. So, um, so finally he went to sleep for a little bit. I was kind of, you know, laboring at home. I was texting my doula and she was kind of giving me recommendations and, and um, at one point, I was reading through some of the materials that she'd given us about, you know, back labor and here's some some things you might expect during labor. And one of the things um, when you're having back labor, which is basically just labor that you feel in your back, right, primarily rather than in your stomach. And often it's due to the positioning of the baby. Um, one of the things that can happen is you can have two contractions like really close together and then kind of a pause and then two contractions close together and then kind of a pause. So maybe maybe three minutes between two contractions and then like a 10 minute break and then three minutes and then 10 minutes. And that can be your body's way of, again, trying to like move the baby a little bit into a a more optimal position. Um, And so I, I was trying to kind of time my contractions and I, uh, I thought this might be what's happening. So I woke up my husband and I asked him to start timing my contractions because um, I just found that to be more helpful when I didn't have to focus on the clock too much. And so he timed a few and he said, Oh, all your contractions are like three minutes apart. And we were like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess it's time to go to the <laughs> hospital. Um, so we got there and we got into triage, and I the nurse offered to do a cervical check, and I agreed to that. And so she um she did the check, and I was about two or three centimeters dilated. So I was like, okay. I guess I'm making progress. I'm happy with this. And she said, you know, usually for first-time moms, we don't admit you until you're five centimeters because it takes so long. But, you know, it's the middle of the night. We have extra staff. I guess you can stay. And I was like, thanks. I <laughs> um, Thank you. you can stay. <laughs> I was like, that's not the most <laughs> encouraging thing ever. We didn't like that nurse very much in the end. But um. so we're talking to my doula and she told us that Another mom that she was working with, she only takes like two moms over the course of a month. But I was, you know, 11 days late and this other mom had gone into labor like three weeks early, two hours prior. And so she was already at the hospital with another mom. Oh, wow. And so she was like, okay, this like has only happened to me one other time, but I'm sending you my backup doula until I can get there. And like her name is Jenny and she's amazing and you guys are going to be great. And at that point I was like, whatever, bring it on. Like Jenny, get in here. I don't, I don't care who you are. Like, come help me, you know? And uh, so Jenny showed up and she is like, she is like such a boss. She was so good. She just immediately came in and was like, you know, pulling things out of the cupboard. She's like, here's some extra pillows. Here's some, you know, good blankets. Here's, here's the position we're going to get you in. She like knew everything. She was so good. She walked into the there's like a tub in the other room and she walked right in there and set up a bunch of candles and said, okay, if you want to get in the tub, you can do that now. And like, she was just so good. She was, wow. she was awesome. Um, and so I spent most of that time in triage in the, like in a bathtub. Um, and she had this really funny trick, which was like when the contractions are happening, like my husband was there and she had him like pouring warm water on my tummy which is really funny but like it was just like to to keep me focused on that instead of contractions and that was like that was like the best i mean it was obviously like really hard cuz it was labor but it was also like the some like super peaceful time it was like the lights were dimmed there were candles it was just like just me and my husband in there nurses running around um like and he's he's like helping me through these contractions and um, he was really, he was so good. During, during our contractions, one of the things that we'd, we'd planned to do was um, during my contractions to say the Jesus prayer, which is a, like an ancient Eastern, um, Eastern Catholic prayer that has come into, you know, the Roman Catholicism too. But it's taken from scripture. It's just the Jesus prayer is you just say over and over, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it was just, like, this thing to kind of keep me anchored to, like, okay, Jesus is here, and he's, like, this is part of his mercy for me is, like, that I get to participate in the cross in this way and, like, offer up my suffering. And, like, we just kept coming back to that. And so my husband was so good, like, during these contractions, he would just, like, help me say, Jesus, mercy, Jesus, mercy, like, just to remember that Mm -hmm. Jesus prayed. Pretty quickly, I realized, like, okay, I can't say that whole prayer, Um, like in the dragon, but I can say, like, Jesus, mercy. Um, And so that was like a really beautiful, like, beautiful time. And I think we were probably, like, the timing is all fuzzy. I think it was probably like two or maybe three hours later. I Mm -hmm. think it was probably about three hours later that the nurse came in because. I didn't really know this. I didn't know this, but my husband was like, Oh, she heard you. Um, so like my contractions had really intensified and I was like much louder, you know, which Mm -hmm. is is a sign that like transition Mm -hmm. might coming, like you might be ending nearing the end of, of that kind of phase of labor and into transition. And so, um, She was like, okay, like, get up. The nurse, who we didn't like, was like, okay, come get on the bed, and I'll do another cervical check. And I was like, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm so comfy in this tub. You're going to do one, like, right here in the tub or not at all. And so she did do a, a cervical check while I was in the tub, and she was like, you're eight centimeters dilated. Like, what are you doing down here? You need to get up to labor and delivery. And I remember all three of us, my husband and Jen and me, were like, Come on, like as if this is my fault that I'm like still down here? I don't know. Like <laughs> why are you mad? Don't be mad. <laughs> like just, as
0: if you would have known that you were eight and like, yeah, "Hey guys, like, I need I to go know, upstairs."
3: I didn't know. Like you like didn't have the baby down here. And I was like, "Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to I'm just doing my thing. Like don't get mad at me for that." Anyway, so we got up to the um yeah, she brought a wheelchair. me to sit in and I was like I'm not sitting like just something about the way the baby was positioned
1: Mm -hmm. I was having
3: back labor and I was like I cannot sit in that thing so like we need another option so my doula who's amazing was like okay you're gonna kneel on it like this like you're gonna hug the back of the wheelchair and kneel so that like you're because I just like wanted my my body to be straighter right I like Mm -hmm. didn't want over and sit and so she's like wheeling me up the elevator like hunched over having contractions in the the, the wheelchair which was like the worst after my comfy bathtub um which made me like man i should totally do a water birth next time because i loved that tub so much
0: um i was listening to the interesting like super super interesting episode it's it's about um water birth that's what made me think of it oh, um yeah. just like the process that your body undergoes when you're in or near water it's it's such a source of like oxytocin production. Even hearing like running water. So even if you can't have a water birth, if you're birthing in a hospital that doesn't do that or something, if you can even bring like a little fountain that makes like a trickling sound, the the idea of water
2: That's will help
0: you through labor too. Isn't that so crazy? Yeah.
2: That, That's like amazing. what you're like saying about like being in the tub. Like I never thought I would like want to labor in the tub or give birth in a tub, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad that i chose to rent a tub for my doula for our second and i like i'm like next time i think like i have to have a water birth because i did not want to get out of that tub ever
0: and even (laughs) becca what you were saying about the pouring the water over your belly like it actually has like a physiological effect on your body it's not just that you know warm water feels nice it's like it literally stimulates the hormone that continues your labor you know yeah. it's so crazy but anyway, I told totally yeah. that because I was
3: like shocked at how <laughs> it was just like so amazing and it was funny because I was like next time you need like two cups of water because he would like right. dip back into the tub and I would be like keep pouring like <laughs> <laughs> like you can't even stop for one second and he was like okay we're gonna be prepared for next time. <laughs> um, so I got up to the birth unit and that was definitely like less nice than just like me and my husband kind of alone in our cozy little place with candles in the tub. Right. Um, so there were more nurses. Um, I was never, I, I had asked for um, not continual monitoring. I can't think of the word occasional monitoring. And intermittent.
2: Intermittent.
3: Yes. Intermittent. Um, and so I had, I had quite a bit of like freedom of movement still, which was nice Um, But, like, just in that part of my labor, once I got up onto the bed, I was like, okay, every time I move, I, like, I'm triggering more contractions, so I'm just going to, like, stay where I'm at (laughs) because I, like, couldn't get myself to move. Um, And so, in the end, I was – so, I think it was, like, another hour or so up in the birth unit. Um, Maybe it was a little longer because I don't know if math isn't adding up, but – I like didn't want to move out of the bed at that point, mostly just because I was like pretty exhausted, and I was like not excited to trigger these contractions whenever I moved. So mm-hmm. when it was time to push, I could definitely feel like the the need to push. And so I was I had kind of been on the fence about you know do I want to like try to wait and kind of see if my body will do the fetal ejection
0: mm-hmm. um,
3: the reflex, or do I want to just kind of like push and see what happens. But by the time I was at that point in the labor, I was like I want to push. Like I'm ready. Like let's let's go. I'm like feeling the kind of one of the other things my doula said that was interesting was at that point in your labor is like the time when you just emotionally often feel the most like giving up, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, "Oh, can I do it anymore?" I'm mm-hmm. like exhausted and and my labor at that point, I'd only been in the hospital for like four hours or maybe five. So Mm -hmm. I truly do not know how women who do this for like 24 hours, like God bless you because I just, I was so exhausted and it was relatively short time compared to what a lot of people Mm -hmm. go through. So God bless all those moms. But anyways, I was kind of unwilling to get out of bed. Um, so I was just on my back the pushing, um, which my doula kept being like, there's other options. But I was like, I don't want to (laughs) move. I'm already here. This is what we're doing. Um, So I ended up pushing, having guided pushing um, for about 20 minutes, 20 or maybe 30 minutes. Um, And at that point, my OB had showed up for like the last, like just before I started pushing, the nurses called her and she, or I guess my, you know, my family doctor who delivers, but my doctor had come and, you know, kind of perched at the end of the bed and just waited for the baby to be born and was kind of trying to do some guided pushing. And, um, yeah. So after about 20 or maybe 30 minutes, he was born and he was born at eight in the morning, the following morning. So we'd gone to the hospital at like one and he was born at eight. And so, yeah. And I did have some tearing. I, I had second degree tearing, um, which made my recovery a little more difficult. And so I think again, like for next time, God willing, like I would love to try for more of that, like fetal ejection reflex, and see if my, you know, just kind of see what my body
2: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> in that situation. Um, yeah. So, so it in the end, it was really beautiful, and I I like to say this with all the love in my heart for the Canadian healthcare system because we we paid zero dollars. So like that's mm-hmm. that was an amazing blessing for our family, but also you know the cons of that were that we we kind of had our beautiful birth in a lot of ways, like despite
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, a system that wasn't set up for the kind of birth that we were hoping to have. Um, but it ended up, yeah, being really beautiful. And so, yeah.
2: Wow. Well,
0: thank you very much for sharing. Um, I just wanted to know of what you were just saying about, about the system. Um, if you had been able to get in with one of the midwives and have um, a home birth or or something like that, would that have been covered as well? Is that how your insurance works?
3: Yes. So it's all, insurance is just, it's it's like all through the, it's all through the government. So it's okay. um, just like part of the taxes you pay goes that everyone is covered for medical expenses. I don't think it covers like vision or dental or pharmacy, but like basic medical mm-hmm. expenses. Are covered for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um and even though I'm not a Canadian citizen, I'm here on a work visa, but I'm mm-hmm. still covered because I'm working in Canada, which is which is really nice as well. Yeah. Um so yeah, that that is part of the system. Basically just the the problem or I'm I know it's complicated. I don't want to act like I know everything about this, but they just need more midwives because it's in such high demand and there's just not enough to go around. I think there's mm-hmm. more and more people kind of hoping for this kind of birth. And mm-hmm. at here, they just don't have the resources to get more midwives right now, I guess. And that makes it certainly challenging. But um yeah, so there were definitely pros and cons to the whole, the whole experience. Um, but ultimately, yeah, we had a really beautiful, really beautiful birth.
0: Do you have any um, advice for a first time mom?
3: Yeah, I guess I would just say like, well, I'll reiterate what, I think pretty much everyone who's been on your podcast has said the Mary Hazeltine book made for this is mm-hmm. such a good Catholic resource. Like if there is a first time mom listening that hasn't read that yet, like that is just required reading. It's just a, a great primer on everything just to get you started. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I, I really feel like just the more education. So before I got pregnant, I would hear people say things like, you know, we need more women's health initiatives and education. And there was a part of me that rolled my eyes and thought like, okay, but like, is that just code for easy access abortions? Because I I can't support that, right? Right. Um, But I feel like my perspective has totally changed. Like, we need women to understand what's happening in their own bodies Mm -hmm. and to be educated in the kinds of choices that they can make in the process of getting pregnant and, you know, like keeping their pregnancies healthy and then having babies and recovering postpartum. Like, I just feel like I, I truly didn't know so much before Mm -hmm. having this baby. It's, it's shameful that people can go through the process of getting pregnant and having a baby and feel like they barely knew what happened to them. Like that's just Mm -hmm. a failure in our healthcare systems and in terms of educating people and I mean, so I, I now feel very passionately, like, again, we could all write the book of like, here's all the things that you should know as a first time mom, just because there is so much to know and it's really intimidating, but just starting to learn and starting to do research and understanding your own kind of preferences and, mm-hmm. and beliefs and, and being really convicted in them and feeling able to advocate for yourself, which is not something that I'm, I have a natural strength in but I became really convicted along the process that it was really important, even when it's difficult. Um, yeah, if you're educated to the best of your ability and not to, not to disparage the medical system, because for some people, I, I think that's really what they want and what works for them, but um, especially if you're gonna go kind of the other route and do an unmedicated birth or go for some more natural options or unmedicated options, um, yeah, you have to do your research and be ready to advocate for yourself but it's, it was very worth it. It was, it was a very, very beautiful experience overall. And I'm very grateful for that.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. You can find us on Instagram at fiat.podcast.
1: And please leave us a rate and review and we'll see you next week. Bye.